Well, again, welcome to our time together on uh, developing intimacy with God. And um, uh, we spent last week um, beginning to just look at this whole area of um, John chapter 4 and some things that we can learn from that passage, along with some other things that are part of uh, um, John Piper's uh, book called Desiring God. And in his book, um, one of the key chapters, I think that is kind of uh, um, at a key uh, tipping point or watershed of coming to grips and understanding uh, intimacy with God and worship has to do with that word, worship, which um, is, uh, according to John, um, when we talk about like reframing our entire perceptions about what we're trying to do, he calls it the, the feast of Christian hedonism. Feast of Christian hedonism. And so, we're going to unpack, we started to unpack that last week, and we're going to continue to unpack that this week. Um, this week and last week, we took a little bit more of a conversational discussion approach. I'm looking for that again this week. Um, and uh, hopefully you've had a chance to kind of look through the homework a little bit. If you have, great. If you haven't, that's fine too. Um, follow along with us and we'll, we'll go through that. We kind of finished the first page of questions last time. We're not going to go question by question through this time, but we are going to hit on the things that are most important for us to kind of get a sense of what, is, what this chapter really says and how instrumental it is for us to think rightly about this area because how we think will actually um, uh, change how, how we act and how we um, live our lives uh, out, if you would. So I've, I hope it's a, just a real instrumental um, opportunity for you to kind of think, think, think about this deeply, if you would. So let's uh, open our time in prayer. Father, I um, come to you to ask you this morning to um, use just this chapter um, from Desiring God to um, help each one of us in this room to really um, begin the process of solidifying in our minds what true worship is. And um, Father, when you um, say in your word that um, true worshipers will worship you in spirit and in truth, Father, help us understand the blend of those two and the importance of both and maybe where we land in those areas and to understand um, just what you've created us for. How does that actually like begin to become reality in our lives after we leave this place this morning and begin this next week and the, the tomorrow morning and just throughout this whole week, Father, as we be, continue to um, understand this whole area. Um, Father, I pray that you would just speak through your spirit, um, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through the, the experiences and the lives that are represented here this morning. Father, may you be lifted up in our presence. May you be glorified as a result. And we seek to honor you, uh, say and do this morning. In this name, amen. Well, good. Um, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> most of you who... Uh, have uh, 
um, taken a look at this passage before um, can uh, probably give us a, an overall sense of what the passage is about. Uh, you that were possibly here last week, um, what, what were some of the things we, we discussed kind of as an introduction to this whole passage? What's the context from last time? Well, with the woman of Samaria and the conversation, he went off, he turned it back to the scriptural or spiritual. Okay. Thing, the living water and the food and... Uh-huh. Um, yep. And, and her adultery and, you know, so he, he, he went at it from the standpoint of her, her thirstings, her hunger, her um, lack of satisfaction, right? He kind of went at it multiple ways. And uh, um, wh- what overall was he trying to teach the disciples and probably us through this whole, whole uh, context? About worship, right, and what worship is, and uh, and and what it means to be true worship. Uses the language true worshiper of God, right? Okay, and uh, and it said in the beginning that he had to pass through Samaria. Um, what was that all about? Why did he feel he had to? Yeah. Well, he was context scripture to mm. go right at another. Yeah. And he feels like he ha- he says he had to go there. Well, certainly when we drew the line, remember the map we drew last week. I mean, you to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. I mean, you kind of got to go through that area, right? I mean, so in one sense, yeah, we get it. He had to go through Samaria, but we all came to a conclusion that it was a little bit different than that, right? It was what? It was that the purpose statement was he had to teach um, his both his disciples and this woman and all of the people who came to Christ about what it meant to be a true worshiper, right? So that was that was incredibly powerful, and and we we talked about him <coughs> kicking this off with call, uh, uh, John Piper calling God the soul hunter, and we said sometimes spiritual sleepers need to be shocked. If you want them to hear what you have to say, you might even need to scandalize them. Jesus is especially good at this, where he when he wants to teach us something about worship, he uses a whore. Um, I just think it's like startling language, right? To um, kind of, uh, kind of really rock our worlds to try to get a sense of what is he really trying to get at here. <clears throat> so he goes through and um, talks about um, really in verses kind of ten through twelve and thirteen and fourteen. He 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 gives us kind of four things that are important here. One is that he says, "I am." Um, uh, I am the well of living water. So he describes himself as this well of living water. Second of all, he talks about himself as um, as this water being free to the one who wants it. Um, certainly in this context, talking about um, uh, salvation, right? Um, and that it is a free, uh, free, um, and... Uh, the third thing he talks about here is that this water, amazingly enough, quenches souls. Um, he talks about being thirsty, but it's not the physical thirst that he's talking about, is it? it it's, he's really going to the heart. And i got to believe this has got to be so incredibly um, provocative to this woman. Like, like, she's been thirsty her whole life, right? And, like, she doesn't... She's, like, missing it completely. But then he brings it around 
with hunger. He brings it around with this. He brings it out with this, and he and he goes right at her. And then we, he talks about like what does a caged animal usually do? It usually like tries to run and hide, right? So does she. And uh, but he won't let her. And uh, and and he'll go right at the whole situation. Uh, and he does. And then he goes on to say like, and then she 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 turns the corner, right? Well, you asked me about this. Let me ask you about worship over here. He goes, okay, let's go to worship next. <laughs> he's like, whatever she's bringing up, I'm, I'm going there, you know. <laughs> At least she's engaged, right, and asking the question. So he goes to worship next. And it's like, he just wanted to get to worship in the first place. Wasn't that really cool? Um, and uh, so, yeah. And uh, she comes out saying... Um, um, or he comes out saying, an hour is coming now, verse 23, the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, see, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him, him must worship in spirit and in truth. So when we talk about like God's whole purpose, according to Christ in this sentence, is to create new, never-existing worshippers of God. What an amazing way to articulate what he's trying to do. Um, and he's very, very, very focused in, in trying to do this, isn't he? Um, and then he says, in spirit and in truth. Talk to me a little bit about what we discussed last week or, or what you believe. What's the connection between spirit and truth here? What, why is this issue so critical to both the people he's talking to and us. Yeah. Well, I mean, stuck in Correct. And not want, he's, he's odd, but he understands that he needs Decker to... Yeah. ...of her water is what yep. humans, right? Her to understand. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not yeah. The heart. So we talked about that, right? Last time we said the inner man, the heart, the mind, the... The, the spiritual nature of, of our being, um, all of these things are probably just wrapped up in this one thing called the heart, really, at the end of the day. And so our ability to um, interact in that space is what where he's kind of trying to go here. And, uh, Dave, you were going to say something else? Yes. Of the spirit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even the knowledge was off, right? Yeah. Yeah, small s, right? Yeah. In fact, he goes to this next. Let's take a look at this. Um, he, he talks about um, finishing this piece up. Let's go to the um, end of this page here. Uh, and he goes to fuel, furnace, and fire, or heat. Uh, let's go to that portion of the chapter. Um, and uh, uh, just before we go there, I wanted to read this to you, which is at the bottom of the uh, How, Whom, and of Worship. He says, uh, uh, the two words, spirit and truth, correspond to the how and whom of worship. And she was asking about what? Where, right? <laughs> and he's like, wrong question. <laughs> Let's go to this other one. Worshiping in spirit is the opposite of wor- worshiping in fear in mere, merely ex- external ways. It is the opposite of for. Empty formalism and tradition. Worshiping in truth is the opposite of worship based on an inadequate view of God. What you're going to see throughout this whole passage, and, and Mick, we talked about this yesterday, was that, that throughout the whole New Testament, it's pregnant. John, Peter, 
I want you to, Paul, I want you to understand the, tr- the true knowledge, I want you to come to a true knowledge of Christ Jesus. You know, the, a true knowledge of Christ Jesus is where all the excellencies of all of everything lie. Like, you should come to a knowledge of Christ that I may know Christ. It's all wrapped up in a full understanding of Christ. And, and, and he says, like, that's the truth here. That's, that's the light portion of this equation, if you would. It, the truth portion, the light portion, the, the whom of worship is what he's talking about here. And so, worshiping in truth is the opposite of worshiping based on an inadequate view of God. Worship must have heart and head. Worship must engage emotions and thought. Let me just pause, or let me keep going to the end of this and ask a question. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy in a church full of half full, full or half full of artificial admirers. I love that. Um, like people who write generic anniversary cards for a living. That was great. I get what he's trying to say there. Isn't that, isn't that really, really good? On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates a shallow view, cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affection, affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical Worship, love that, love that, love that. So when we think about this this imagery here, um, uh, what what would we call fuel then? Okay, truth, truth about God, right? Truth about God. It's about His incredible excellencies of His character. It's about if you want to wrap it up in one word, it's about the glory of God and the glory of Christ, because that's the dimensional aspect that gives us the whole pic- picture of everything of who he is. This is what Sammy's going to just like dump the truck on us, you know, when we get to this next section, after we go through the end, very last portion of stilling our hearts towards worship. And so the truth of the glory of God and who he is is the fuel ingredient-wise. What, what is the furnace? It is. It's our spiritual nature. Okay? Or we just said earlier, it's where the spirit works, which is in our inner man, right? It's in our heart. That's where he does his work. So when you think about this, like the furnace, like... It's encapsulated by what? Our body, right? <clears throat> so that's the furnace. <clears throat> what is heat, then? The what? The Holy Spirit. So you're, you're going at it the way it should be gone at, which is that these two should be reversed. And what you're saying is fire here is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that ignites it. He's the one that blows on it. He's the one that like fans it. He's the one that like brings it into existence when it didn't exist before. Absolutely. Yes. Good. I'll say affections, emotions. Right? In other words, we're going to talk more about these emotions because the emotions are the part of us that that well up when the truth of God is revealed to us. And when we see the truth, the emotions of our heart well up, and they, like, it is just, they're there. Like, and God is the one, through the Spirit, that, that goes, 
fanning the flame, you know, higher and higher, white hot, right? That's what that is. So, so this is the picture that for me was very helpful to understand the components that need to be a part of true worship. Does that make sense? So when we talk about like, like truth, truth is that the, the, the messages around who God is and His glory, what, who He is and what He's done, causes us to stand in awe. Like, whoa. Okay? And then the fire of God being the Spirit of God, takes the Word of God, fans the flame in our hearts, the furnace, and all of a sudden, heat comes out. And that heat, amazing enough, I love the analogy, right? Because the heat then is given off to other people too. Like, I'll tell you, I can see people's countenances when they've been in the presence of God. And they stay in the presence of God, or they live in the presence of God, or they've dwelled in the presence of God, or they've been in the presence of God. Their countenances are changed. You see that in the scriptures too, many times, where that happens. So, amazing pieces of ingredients of worship. Um, he says uh, at the end of that section, now, that, now we can complete our picture. The fuel of worship is a true vision of the greatness of God. The fire that makes the, bur- the fuel burn white hot is the quickening of the spirit. The furnace made alive and warmed by the flame of truth is our renewed spirit. And the resulting heat of our affections is powerful worship, pushing its way out in confessions, longings, acclamations, tears, songs, shouts, bowed heads, lifted hands, and obedient lives. Amen. Amen. Um, so, he goes on to say... Um, uh, he talks to the disciples. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with the disciples piece here, but he goes on to, to an affair of the heart um, on the next section here. And the question I have here is, what does the word worship mean? Like, if you were going to describe what worship means, what is it? What does he call it? Reflecting. Yeah, I love that. Isn't that good? Um, reflecting back to... God what? There you go. Radiance of, I love that, isn't that good? Radiance of His worth. And we're missing one word here, though. Probably the most important one. Any thoughts? Gladly. 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 Let's put it in big... Gladly, like there's this gladness at part of it. It's this joy. It's like I want to. I I have to. <laughs> in, in in the heart concept of have to, right? And so reflecting back to God, the radiance of 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 what did I do? Radiance of His worth. <laughs> what I got in there? Worldly. Wait, radiance of His. That might be different. Radiance of his worth. Radiance of his worth. Who he is. <laughs> um, and he goes on. He's, uh, you know, one of the one of the things I had for A. W. Tozer. I love this quote by him. It's called. Um, it's A. W. Tozer's definition of 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 uh, worship. And he says to be astonished by the awesomeness of God. To be astonished or stunned by the awesomeness of God. Um, but to do it in a way that, as he adds here, in a, in a glad way. When you think about the word glad, what, what is, what ev- what's, ev- what's evoked in your heart? What just comes to mind? Joy. Happiness. Yeah. 
willing, a total willingness, right? It's a, it's, it's, it's of the heart. Yeah, very much so. Pleasure, yeah. Yes. So it's the. I'm gonna just put it on here. I think it's really important to call out. It's the welling up or the rising up of pleasure. Pleasure. What God created us for. Pleasure. We're gonna talk more about that. Directing, right? <laughs> and yet it goes back to him. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. What I so value in this over overflowing abundance. Abundance. Yes. Absolutely. And he goes. He he says that in uh, in in John um, later on, where he talks about um, John seven thirty seven thirty eight thirty nine, where he talks about um, rivers of living water, like just completely like unquenchable, overflowing, um, if you would. So, yep, good stuff. Okay, so then he goes on, he talks about, any other comments there? Um, so then he goes on, he talks about uh, how to worship God in vain, and uh, I just want to read a couple, the very end of this section to you. Uh, the will can be present for all kinds of reasons, while the heart is not truly engaged, or as Jesus says, is far away from me. The engagement of the heart in worship is, here you go, the coming alive of feelings and emotions and affections of the heart. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. And now he goes on to talk about eight different responses of the heart that contribute to, um, he called it authentic worship. Uh, the scriptures use the word true worship. And... Um, in these, it's not like these are sequential in nature. It's not like they all are always in, involved. It's not like it's a recipe. It's not like any of that. It's just that these are eight ones that will probably show their face uh, that would give you the cue that, that, that your worship is being true or authentic or genuine in nature, if you would. And the first one he gives us is... Um, is uh, <coughs> Yeah, to be stunned, right? Stunned. Silence. Sam is going to go through this one um, in detail. Stunned silence. It's the idea of seeing the majestic holiness of God and just like, like stop for a second. I think it's the same thing like when Isaiah you know, saw the Lord in all his glory, and he just, he just stopped. He fell, fell down, like, I can say anything here. Um, so, um, yeah, and so, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Be silent before him. Um, second one is what? On wonder, maybe? On reverence? Reverence, awe, uh, awe um, wonder, and it's at the at the magnitude of God. When you think about magnitude of God, what comes to your mind about the word magnitude? Like, what what part of that is is this? Yeah, his bigness, his bigness in so many ways. Be it the macrocosm of creation, be it the microcosm of creation. He he 
He navigates both flawlessly at all times and all the parts in between through all time and knows them all and has them from the beginning to the end and knows every one of their names from there to there. (laughs) And I'll suggest 99% of all of that we will never see or touch as a human being and yet God has created for His glory. Like, that blows me away. Um, Awe and wonder. Okay, third one. Okay, fear around his almightiness, right? That he's almighty, or he's sovereign, or he's um, uh, omnipotent would be another word there. Um, and see here we see Isaiah. Uh, he says, "The Lord of hosts, him shall you regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you, in the fear of you." You know, I, I can't help on this particular one to not read uh, not to not read um, Psalm ninety-seven. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but if you're just write it down. Psalm ninety-seven uh, says this. It says, "The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the islands be glad. Let." Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him. He burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted away like wax in the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness. And all the peoples have seen his glory. That's like, oh, whoa. The fear of the Almighty. Fear of the Almighty. Um, the uh, when we talk about this awe and wonder, um, Anne sent me a note this morning to uh, um, read or just highlight it. It's, it's our section in this book from Paul Tripp tomorrow. I thought it'd be valuable to read it to you. He says it is dangerous to live without your heart being captured by awe of God. Because awe of God is quickly replaced by awe of me. It's a daily battle. One that is free of physical weapons, political parties, and national boundaries. It is a battle that has been raging since the Garden of Eden. And will not stop until the war is finally won. This battle is not fought between people. It is fought within people. It is a much greater danger to each one of us than war of nations will ever be. It is a battle of awe. We were created to live in a real, heart-gripping, agenda-setting, behavior-forming awe of God. But other awes have kidnapped our hearts. The awe of creation, the awe of people, the awe of ourselves. Shove the awe of God out of our hearts. So, we need grace to see it once again for what it is. To tremble again. To bow down again at the feet of the one who deserves our awe. Amen. We've robbed God of his awe because we've become too enamored with ours. What's the next one? Okay, Brokenness. When you think about brokenness, Dave, what, what, is, what does biblical brokenness look like? Yeah, absolutely. That I don't measure up, right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that's busted? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's the confession, it's the contriteness, it's like, I am who you say I am, regardless of what I think I am, <laughs> right? Um, as yeah. living in a place of laying that out. Run from it. <laughs> mm. And that was, that, that was the whole reason why I sent that, that poem, Hound of Heaven. I mean, um, um, it, Anne had sent it to me also. It was like, this is like, I, I have to remember this all the time, all the time, that he cares more about his pursuit of me wherever I go than my pursuit of him. Um, amen. Well, what's the next one? Coming out of this is what? A longing. A longing. I'll call it a desiring. Um, a desiring and a longing for what? For God and His presence, right? For His presence. For His presence. Um, and uh, this longing or this desiring, we're going to talk about in a second. All of us, all of us in this room are in different stages in this longing and desiring. And I'll suggest like we jump out of one to another on a regular basis almost. I'm going to talk more about that one. What's number six? By the way, this longing, we're, as we talk about it in this next couple ch- sections, th- think about this longing as, uh, um, he talks. this longing is that desire to want to be fulfilled. Um, and it's the desire to be complete. It's the desire to be put back into the place in which we were created like we were in the garden with that intimacy and like fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and peace and rest and contentment and all of those things are where this is headed. What's number six? Okay. Yeah. Praise. Praise comes from a heart of gladness. Um, it 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 uh, comes from um, being forgiven. Um, this brokenness is the contriteness of the heart that, like, comes to God saying, "I get it. You know, I I, I continually mess up, and I, and you continually um, forgive me. And you know, great is the name of the Lord." Um, and and it's a this is this here these this is emotional here emotional here um, portions of this um, if you would so he says here um, yes because I'm forgiven yeah how how is that different before the fall ah that's a great question <laughs> I don't know that's a great question no that's a really good point yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, it's it's interesting because uh, they're the only ones that didn't have this <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but this praise, he says, um, rises in our hearts. He he calls it, um, "Why are you so cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, um, and I shall again praise Him." So this builds. Praise to um, hope. Um, we could call it our living hope. It's about um, the fact that, like, this is not all there is. Like, Revelation four and five are coming. <laughs> like, 
He's going to satisfy every soul. He's going to, um, he's going, you know, the the first things of Adam are going to, are going to pass away. Um, every tear, every everything is going to be made right. The prayers of the all of history that haven't been met are going to be haven't been answered are going to be are going to be answered by God and all of His justice in one fell swoop. Um, hope. Um, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. What's the last one here? For God Himself, yeah. So, this one here is, um, uh, he calls it um, the soul's final feast. Soul's final feast. Pleasure, joy, delight. Um, is to know Him, to see Him, to know Him, to be in His presence. He says, is the soul's final delight. So when you think about these things, um, a key question that comes to mind in this next section is, uh, um, again, not complete, not part of, which is the beautiful thing here, right? And, And everybody will possibly enter into different dimensions of this as they go as we worship, uh, learn to worship. So a quite key question I wanted to talk about here is uh, it talks about faith, facts, faith, and feeling. And I just wanted to read this as we... Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I wanted... I don't know about you, but each of us um, may be coming from a different place in our own lives from the standpoint of the importance of truth, the importance of emotions, the importance of feelings, the importance of, of how these all mix together. And, um, and I think that, that's God, God showing himself as to uh, look at the pieces you've been missing all your life, <laughs> you know, to make you complete in becoming a, a, a true worshiper of myself. And he, he says, uh, in a well, well-known booklet, the, the slogan of uh, fact, faith, and feeling says, the locomotive is fact, the coal car is faith, and the caboose is feeling. The explanation reads, the train will run with or without the caboose. Um, however, it would be futile to attempt to pull the train by the caboose. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah? And he finishes this whole section off by saying this, saving faith also receives Christ as our treasure. A non-treasured Christ is a non-saving Christ. Faith is has in it this element of valuing, embracing, prizing, and relishing Christ. It is like a man who finds a hidden treasure in a field and from joy sells all his treasures to have that field. Therefore, let us affirm the slogan when it means when it means that physical sensations are not essential. But let us also make clear that the locomotive of fact is not headed for heaven if it is not followed by a faith that treasures Christ and if it is not pulling a caboose load of new, although imperfect, affections. Amen. So a key question comes up now in the past in the in the chapter: um, Is worship an end in itself? Why or why not? How would you support your answer one way or the other? Is worship an end in itself? I had never thought about it this way, by the way. This was like breakthrough thinking for me personally. Is it an end in itself or means to an end? Why or why not? What do you think? It is the end. Interesting. Okay. But yeah. Most of the time, I think. Oh, we're 
and then we're going to go do something else, or, or it's going to lead to this, or yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it has been. It has been my life. Yes, for sure. Other thoughts. Go ahead. Um, what I got out of it, and I've looked up feast, final feast, and all, and I have abundant meal, and I looked at with Christ. This is all what we're joy. And I it should be Isn't it interesting that he calls it the wedding, uh, the um, the wedding feast, of, you know, of Lamb? Yeah. Um, marriage. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on that? Like, an end to itself. So, what are the implications of if everybody is everybody in the room okay with landing in the place of it being an end in itself? Everybody okay with that? But then, if you look at it as being one in heaven, it's not sure. of each other. So it's like, which came first? Yeah, but both. Uh, <laughs> but, but at least now, for sure, I, I think it's the same there. It's just that we're with him there, right, forever. What are the implications of worship being an end in itself? Yeah. We can be in turmoil. Which you articulated yesterday, but you were in. Yeah. <laughs> Not me, that's Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's this yep. God. We're in heaven. Praise that that affection, that uh, relationship with He's different, but it'll be the same thing. Amen. Um, Dave, you were going to say something? Well, Sorry. I really, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Was very simple for me to ask into what is it in the examples of whether that was a, a fearful situation that you just spontaneous or you spontaneous but that it was just so because you're in the heart mm-hmm. it's not something that had to be thought or but well, let me process right for a second to work through and so as I look at complexity of that question is it this worship being ultimately the end is it's like spontaneous there's no way cultivated through truth yeah but more than it, it just it becomes this way. I mean, I, I but any other, other than uh, um, love for child or deep love for a spouse or something that is that is it's a spontaneous. It just rises up well automatically. And it grows and it's stronger <laughs> and stronger. And so there's nothing that is barrier there. But the time mm-hmm. is working through so these affections. Ultimately, seven is yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, the others are in process. Daily, yeah. So true. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Means to the end or an end in itself. And 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 I think what we're saying is that it it feels like this is worship as I'm coming to understand it better and better and better appears to be the the purpose of by which we've been created, which is to make much of God and glory in His glory, um, God. the God alone, fully hearted, whole hearted, devoted, full, completely to that end. That seems to be an end in itself, and it is the end. It feels like that God created us for, and so, yet, what are the implications of that in our lives? Then, like that is massive. Implications for me personally, massive, massive implications. What are some that come to your mind personally? Of who God is, and I can trust Him, and He's whirling around 
in my life, whatever circumstance, or, you know. Yeah, you tugging know, at my just, heart. Right, put my hand yeah. just, you know, in front of me, but yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. And it needs to be thankful for the reminders that come during the day. Amen. Yeah. I know, it's like so many. That I'm trying to organize these yep. things, right? So this thing, I'm just here first. Yes. God. Yeah. But we are image bearers. Yeah. Worshiping God is a call. Yeah. God, the Father, knows us. Yep. Continually being yeah. displayed. Being displayed. Yeah. You know, now and for eternity. Horizontally. Yeah. Vertically yep. to the unknown. Yeah. That is the that that's the outcome of us having communion with God is our ability to act rightly in that kind of a context, right? Yes. Yeah. This is, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. For sure. And I, he talks about like like God didn't force the woman at the well to like come to where he was. He went to where she was, right? And all of us are at different places in this journey. And, and he calls out three different levels of worship I thought were very helpful for me to put a category around my heart, personally, and to ask myself the question, what do I need to move towards the, the next level? Does that make sense to everybody, at least, to try to you know, evaluate our hearts? And so, when we talk about... I'm going to start with the lowest first. Talk about the lowest level of worship uh, when you get to the, um, you're going to come back to a couple of questions in the in the interim here, but it's it's uh, called three stages of worship. What what was the lowest stage of worship? How would you describe this one? Okay. Barrenness of soul that scarcely feels any longing, but it's still granted the grace. Yeah. So barrenness of soul has little longing, right? Is that what it says, right? Little longing. Barrenness of soul has little longing. What? One of the things that I, I found. So first of all, there's no, there's nothing lower than lowest for those who are believers in Christ. I guess that, let me just kind of start there. Um, for a non-believer, they they would be, you know, I guess I should have flipped these around. They'd be at zero, right? In other words, there is no longing whatsoever in the spiritual dimension for God. He says, no one fears God. No one wants Him whatsoever. So the lowest level of a believer, the believers in Christ, um, is the barrenness of a soul. It's, it has little longing. Uh, he says here, um, I, I like the way he says, he's, he's like, I was like a beast towards you. <laughs> wow. Like a beast towards you. Um, so he talks about two ways of, of, of this. It says spontaneous expression of the good and by, or by spontaneous sorrow for having failed. The great news even at this level here is that the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Holy Spirit creates guilt in our lives, creates um, a lack of completeness, a lack of fulfillment. All of those things are resonant at this level when if the, at this level it's not even resident as a non-believer. <laughs> Right, it's not even resident um, until the Holy Spirit shows up and starts doing some work. Um, so lowest level, barrenness of soul. Middle one is what? How would you describe the middle one? So longing to be satisfied, but not fully. 
right? In other words, I, I love that picture of the person climbing to the top of the mountain to get the spring water. And his whole point about the movement from lowest to middle was so eloquent. I, could, I mean, it was just like so amazing. He says like, like, in the person's just desire to move that way, longing to go find that drink, to be satisfied, just the longing itself uh, pleases God. That's crazy. Just the longing pleases God, that we would want to move that way. Um, what an amazing picture. It so ties into the elections. Like yeah. It's a huge jump between five and six. Yeah. It's a yeah. That's where that starts to come into the into play here, right? Yeah. And uh, and then the highest he calls it what? He calls it a feast of Christian hedonism. Feast of Christian hedonism. That's what he calls that top one. And what does that mean? Fully satisfied with the excellencies. Of God, right? Fully satisfied with the excellencies of God. Fully satisfied with the excellencies of God. Um, he says, in, after number three here, he says, Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of His worth. That is the ideal. For God surely is more glorified when we delight in His magnificence than when we are so unmoved by it that we scarcely feel anything and only wish we could. Yet, he is also glorified by, quote, the spark of anticipated gladness that gives rise to the sorrow, even, that we feel when our hearts are lukewarm. Even in the miserable guilt we feel over our beast-like insensitivity, the glory of God shines even yet. If God were not so gloriously desirable, why would we feel sorrowful for not feasting fully on His beauty? Does that make sense? Like, he's like, he's excited that we're even sorrowful at this lowest level to move us into these next levels. Is that, that, that for me was so helpful to kind of get a sense of um, there. Um, any other comments there on that? Uh, he says, uh, beware of giving to God. I thought this was really good. Um, uh, he, he says, I think it's like what Dave, you were trying to get at was, you know, this this spontaneous explosion of the emotions off of just something that occurs or you see or you conclude about God, right? And it just happens. He talks about the Grand Canyon. He talks about husband-wife situation. He talks about all these different explosions. And he says... Um, we strive against uh, God's all-sufficient glory if we think we can become a means to His end without making joy in Him our end. Christian, Christian hedonism does not put us above God when it makes the joy of worship its goal. It is precisely in confessing our frustrated, hopeless condition without Him that we actually honor Him. I like that. That is really good. On the contrary, the one who actually sets himself above God is the person who presumes to come to God to give him something rather than get something from him. Um, uh, he, he, uh, he goes on to say, No, the hedonistic approach to God in worship is the only humble approach because it is the only one that comes with empty hands. 
Christian hedonism pays God the respect of acknowledging and really feeling that he alone can satisfy the heart's longing to be happy. Worship is an end in itself because we glorify God by enjoying him forever. Again, with the purpose, as Sammy mentioned earlier, to, uh, to be um, radiant, radiant his glory to others. Uh, he calls the moral enemy of worship uh, our um, moral high our high moral acts um, that desire um, to be free of self-interest. He calls that the great enemy of true worship. He says, but when worship is reduced to disinterested duty, it it ceases to become worship, for worship is is a feast. Um, Worshiping is nothing less than obedience to the command of God to, quote, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Uh, He goes on to say, For worship is the most hedonistic affair of life and must not be ruined with the least thought of disinterested. The great hindrance to worship is not that we are pleasure-seeking people, but that we are willing to settle for such pitiful pleasures. I know Sam's going to really go into this, Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13, in his section. But he talks about, like, giving up, you know, the best for something way, way less. Um, And I just absolutely love... uh, C.S. Lewis's Mud Pies <laughs> quote. Yeah, let me read it to you. He says, If there lurks in the most modern minds, the C.S. Lewis, the desire to be, um, the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics, is no part of the Christian faith. I've heard, I mean, you, I, 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 was, I was raised with this stuff to, to, to believe this this way. Um, he says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The enemy of worship is then not that our desire for pleasure is too strong, but it is because it is too weak. Um, amen. So here's to uh, here's to uh, here's to feasting. <laughs> here's to feasting. Here's to pursuing the pleasure and joy and satisfaction in our lives that only God can bring. And here's to going on this journey together with each one of you. What a what an amazing privilege to do this together. Um, I can't even... I have no, no words to describe that, that, that process and that journey. Um, Sammy, can you close us in prayer? Father, uh, all of the small in our lives, we, as Mark is uh, audibly tracking and directing us. That, uh, Amen. Have a wonderful week. Oh, is there? Didn't have it on there? Okay.